Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. This is the uh, preseason Gator Preview Spectacular, if you will, um, or if you won't. Uh, either way, that that's what's headed your your direction. We got uh, Jake Winterman, who is uh, working with the NBA now and doing a lot of stuff with Inside the Gators. He's going to join us and talk about Florida. Uh, Eric Fawcett from Gator Country is going to join us. We've got a little three-man panel. We're going to play a little three-man game and uh, and just roll um, into you know a comprehensive preview of, of what this season could be for Florida and, and some things we think they'll do better than last year and some areas of concern. Um, so without uh, any more of an intro, let's uh, let's dive right in. I'll get us started here and just kind of let Jake introduce himself to everybody. Um, no. So, so uh, tonight we have Eric Fawcett from Gator Country, who continues to uh, put up dominant numbers on the post per day about Florida basketball as we get ready for the season <laughs> front. And then um, we're also really happy to be joined by Jake Winterman this week. And I know Jake uh, did a lot of work with Kevin Brockway last year. Would have been my guy to, to, to take over, but has, has moved on to different and better things. So, Jake, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and, and read what, what you're doing now. Thank you. I um, So I still do some stuff with uh, Inside the Gators, which is run by Mark Wheeler. And you can find some of my Florida basketball content on there, mostly on the forums. That's where I worked for the past year. Before that, I worked for about three years for ESPN Gainesville. And now... I'm up in Secaucus, New Jersey, uh, working for the NBA. I uh, work in the NBA G League department, which is their minor league, and I essentially am one of the people in charge of running their social media, their website, their application. So cool to see you guys. Like uh, Chris Chios is going to be in the G League this year, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Devin Robinson might spend some time there, and uh, Canyon Barry will be down there as well. So uh, it, it's very much a cool uh, college. Where are they at now? for the guys who didn't make the pros and who you can't find on Eurobasketball. That's fantastic. And Jake, also a, uh, a UF journalism alum, right? Yes, that is true as well. Graduated May 2018. See, so we've got, we've got the, like, we've got the Canadian and then we have UFJ school power. Exactly. <laughs> that covers all the bases right there. Right? So. <laughs> <It's> all- <laughs> I was going to say, that's everything. That, that's the two groups of people. Like if you can do if you can do those two things and play a one three one zone, <laughs> you might have a chance to win the Big East tournament. Um, <laughs> so tonight's show, I think a lot of people are were were pretty excited just via Twitter to, to kind of that we were going to dive into Florida a little more tonight. Um, after just doing kind of an overview show and then a bunch of shows about the SEC and talking to Kevin Brockway a little bit. I kind of wanted to, to start with with this this piece that that Eric wrote at Gator Country last week, which was about um, you know sort of fixing what Florida's Achilles heels were last year. Because I thought it was like a really excellent article um, in the sense that it, it sort of isolated the things, the little things that, that cost Florida some games. So you know what went into the process of putting that together, um, Eric, and you know talk talk a little bit about. Oh, I just talked about and anyway. <laughs> talk a well, bit about that article. Yeah, well, it was kind of funny because um, I actually I've been at Gator Country for just about a year. It was like a week. 
um, kind of la- like last week ago, it was a year. And what happened was, uh, so last year I got hired pretty close to when the season started. So when I was kind of frantically, um, had never written for uh, as much as this before. Um, and I was looking for just kind of uh, some preseason content. I thought, Hey, what if I just like went through all the losses from the previous season and, uh, looked for some trends, looked for some things that, uh, uh, maybe were problematic, uh, some problematic when it comes to trends um, and things that, yeah, could be considered an Achilles heel and wasn't just like a one-off bad night. So um, I did an article like that last year and um, I thought it was pretty good and people responded to it. So I thought I'd do it again. And uh, it was the same process. I uh, There's a little bit of eye test type things um, in terms of the Achilles heel just by watching the games. But I also like just literally went through every single game, um, watched, uh, or sorry, not every single game, every single loss. Uh, watched a bit of film when I thought was needed or I'm um, just looked at the numbers and then also just uh, just kind of looking through the analytic tools I use and, and Ken Palm um, kind of looking to see what some uh, some negative trends were as well. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I, I hope some other people did as well. So I wanted I wanted to get Jake in on because one of the ones that you identified was scoring in different ways. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's sort of a question that I posed to Jake pre-show just preparing was there's this narrative it's that, it's that nasty word again that that uh that that Mike White and, and Florida want to do small ball things mm-hmm. constantly and I, I don't know if that's necessarily fair to what this team's going to be about no I actually don't think that's necessarily true I mean it wasn't the correct guy to run it with but I thought so many times last year in the first half you saw a lot of dump into the post to Kavarius Hayes and run from there. And while that is obviously not even close to the most efficient offensive strategy, I found they would try that early in games, get worried about the height advantage, and then go to that small ball that we talked about. But something I find interesting that I think might actually be able to change that a little bit is the fact that Andrew Nemhart at about 6'4", 170-ish, would you guys say? About 180-ish? I haven't seen his latest measurement, but... Well, essentially, in in that realm, I think what Florida can do to combat that a little more and get away from their small ball is the fact that when they run pick and roll in him or pick and pop with him, when Chioza would run pick and roll, the problem is he would only usually draw one defender because of the size disparity. The help defense didn't feel the need to come over more than 50% of the time to try and come over for that block. My thing is this year, I think they're going to be able to run high pick and roll and high pick and pop extremely effectively with the set of shooting big men that they have and the passing prowess of Andrew Nemhard. My thought is here is that Andrew Nemhard, at his size and his ability, nothing against Chioza, who is a fantastic player at Florida. My thought is that when he attacks the rim and he drives off of pick and roll, he is going to take that double team more often than not. And it's enough of a good passer to work it inside to those big men who sort of seem lost on offense. And then they'd have to switch to small ball and it would sort of throw off their defense. So my thought this year is that something that has nothing to do with the big man in in a bigger point guard is actually going to be something that helps them with that post offense and helps them get away from that small ball, chuck a bunch of three point offense that a lot of people on forums seem to hate. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that, that you brought up, you know, the sort of perception that that's, that's uh, how Florida wants to score, but I don't necessarily think, think it is, but I think, you know, it's one of the things that that Eric has talked a lot about about how with this with the bigger point guard and not just a bigger point guard, but with with bigger wings and healthier a healthier front court, Florida's going to be a lot more combination efficient, aren't they, Eric? Yeah, you, you'd hope so. And um, just something that kind of Jake was speaking to, uh, not to disparage Chris Chioza at all, excellent player, but he did have limitations. And the thing that was 
Uh, he wasn't an, ex- an excellent shooter off the dribble, and he wasn't an excellent finisher at the rim. So if he's coming off a screen, you don't really have to respect the fact that he'll sit behind it and, and just pull a three. And then if he curls off the screen and gets towards the hoop, you don't have to be so concerned with blocking the shot, um, just like Jake was talking about. So uh, especially if Andrew can, Andrew Nemhart can even um, maybe be a better finisher at the rim, um, that'll put a lot of uh, different elements on it as well. But um, yeah, just uh, obviously talking to the fact, I, another thing Jake said, just about the fact that with Isaiah Stokes, I think you have a guy that'll both be able to uh, pick and pop and uh, as well as, uh, as pick and roll and go to the hoop because he's got really good hands. But um, yeah, you you look at the uh, you look at the offense for Florida and even just the way it broke down um, within the half court offense, um, it was just spot up, spot up, spot up. Um, the even as much as um, as much as the we we talk a lot about uh, the pick and rolls running in kind of every single offense. Uh, I think that that was a little bit out of out of necessity and not having a lot of other uh, kind of offense mm-hmm. offensive weapons off of the ball. And I think that this year going to be able to uh, to do a lot more, you know, pin down for for Noah Locke or uh, even you could pin down for Keith Stone or have Keith Stone be a screen setter off of the ball who then um, fades out and, and can catch and shoot. Um, yeah, I think we'll get to uh, see a little more about what uh, what Mike White can dial up. Jake, I, one question that a, a, a listener had um, that, that I thought well, I'd shovel your way because you had mentioned talking a little bit about styles as well. Um, and, and talking a little bit about the incoming recruiting classes. You know, uh, Sarah wants to know whether or not Florida is, is going to be capable of, of handling pressing and high-pressure teams the way that they were the last two years, whether it was Casey Hill or Chris Chios. And I think that she might be hinting at, oh, my gosh, the Jimmy V Classic could be a disaster with the freshman point guard. Um you know, and Mike White even spoke to it a little in the mm-hmm. days when he talked about, you know, one of our biggest issues in some of our scrimmages is just bringing the ball up, and and that that's going to be sort of by committee. That once they get in half court, they've been fine, but it's an area they've isolated as something to improve already. Is is that something that that Florida fans should be concerned about just because? the schedule on the front end is so hard. Now, now in, in terms of high-pressure situations, that is something I sort of agree with. A point that I've sort of tried to make to a lot of people is that Andrew Nemhard is this team's number one point guard. Even though he's a freshman, like White said, he is the most talented passer this team has. He is going to start the year as a starting point guard. The next problem is that Michael O'Carr, in my opinion, which I've really tried to tell people, is more of a combo two guard than he is a point guard he has a really nice off the ball shot where he can work his way into the corner and knock down those threes he's good at moving without the ball but he simply right now doesn't have the ball handling to be that guy to break the press which leaves you with your backup point guard as Kayvon Allen now when we talk about a guy who sort of faded away last season and a guy who really took a step down after what was such a promising year it's Kayvon Allen my thought with this is that after the year he had last season and sort of everything that went through with his head, his shooting percentage dipping everywhere. I think Kayvon Allen this year not only is going to bounce back, but I think we're going to see, similar to the aggressive Kayvon Allen that we saw his sophomore season, that we're going to see this senior year. Kayvon's a tremendous ball handler, and he's extremely fast. And when he is confident and making shots like we saw sophomore year, can make quick decisions and make effective decisions. My whole thing comes down to with high-pressure defensive situations is that Andrew Nampard can't play the whole game. So like you said, there's got to be someone else who can take over that role. I think Kayvon Allen as the senior 
on this team, one of the key leaders on this team, one of the guys who's been there, been to the Elite Eight, has to be that guy who steps up in that backup ball handling role. So I'll say this. If Kayvon can really be what he was sophomore year and what he was hyped up to be last year, I don't think they'll have the problems that they have early that some people are worried about. If Kayvon Allen starts off on the same note he started last season, I think it's going to be a big issue. Eric, anything to add to this uh, listener question? Yeah, uh, just kind of talking from the coach's lens, which I know that uh, you know you'd be like to do, Neil. <laughs> uh, the thing about breaking the thing about breaking a press is um, it's not often your point guard who's actually the guy who's really breaking it. It's um, it's a lot about your inbounder. Mm-hmm. It's a lot about the second yep. guy. Just thinking about how um, if a team presses you, especially especially the way that uh, like a West Virginia famous famously does, usually you're probably going to have your two guards stack and split. Um, they're probably going to want to take Nemhard out of it, and then it's going to matter even. Uh, if Jalen Hudson or, or Kayvon Allen can be the guy who can be the other guard who gets the ball. And then once he gets the ball, the most important guy becomes the inbounder, who's now kind of your pivot between your two guards that have now split. So uh, that's probably going to be a Keith Stone. Um, but uh, just kind of who, who else can play in that role? Maybe like maybe a Chase Johnson. Mm-hmm. But man, that's that's tough as a freshman. But um, but yeah, that's just something I, I think about is that, um, yeah, it's just it's it's not just Nemhart. It's um, yeah, it's kind of all the other guys breaking the press. And I think that Keith Stone is going to be an important aspect of breaking mm-hmm. the press just because of uh, him being the inbounder likely and being kind of the pivot or the reverse guy. Um, I guess the pivot is what I call when I coach basketball, that kind of role. But um, yeah, so I, I just think it's important that you look at the, uh, the freshman point guard and you might think, oh, how he, how's he going to break the press? Uh, but if you've got a senior and uh, like a, you know, a, a redshirt junior in, in Keith Stone or a senior Kayvon Allen or a fifth year Jalen Hudson also helping to break the press. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not too concerned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I didn't want to, to spoil the the West Virginia worry party, but I feel like when I, when I, when I look at Florida's early schedule, that's a game. I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad they play that game. Cause I feel like it's such a good matchup for the way that Mike White the, wants to play. The best thing is that they won't have to deal with Javon Carter anymore, which would be right, an absolute exactly. nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Oh, can I, uh, I just, just, uh, I just thought I'd pull up the, uh, the numbers just, uh, relative to their press last year. So um, against press defenses, which the Gators saw 5.4% of the time, there's 115 possessions. Um, they actually turned the ball over less than uh, when they were getting pressed than um, when they just got played half-court man or half-court stone. <laughs> so if you want to turn the Gators over, actually, um, you're at, at least – at least, I mean, this was last year, I guess. But last year, if you wanted to turn the Gators over, you'd be better off not pressing and, um, and sitting back than you would be to press them, which is uh, kind of interesting. But obviously, uh, no, no wow. chills of this year. That, that that's, is, that, that's something I didn't even know. That's, that's, that's actually which, unbelievable. That which is, is unbelievable. It, it's only – so against zone, 13.1%. Um, against uh, – this is their turnover percentage. Um, against man, it was 12.2. And against press off – or, or sorry, against presses, uh, press defenses, they were um, – yeah, they were 11.3. So really, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they did pretty well. That's, that's amazing. And, and, and to Jake's point, the, the – it's interesting that, that Florida seems to get less credit for how it will react to losing Chris Chioza than West Virginia, at least at present, seems to get for, for having to replace Javon Carter. It makes no sense. <laughs> no sense at all, but, but okay. Um, well, and then West Virginia gets, uh, gets placed in the preseason top 25. It, exactly. Like, but anyways. But, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. What what's a strength, Jake, that that this team will have? And we've talked about one of them, but what's what's something that you think 
Florida will be definitively better at this season than they were last year. I think Florida this year, and I am simply just counting through the roster this year, I think Florida is a team that is going to be legitimately able to go 11 or 12 players deep, barring that injury bug that we saw last season. Looking at this roster, it's not just depth of guys that they can throw out there. It's depth of guys, some of which have experience and have done well. But when you look at players who haven't played yet, who they're going to get back next season, Chase Johnson at 6'9", 220, can hit three-pointers, is arguably the team's best offensive rebounder, is good in pick and pop, and can handle well for his size. Then you look at um, you look at Gorjot Gak. I understand that he played last season, but he was playing with a bad knee all year. He might not be 100% ready for the start of the season, but that's a guy who little pe- little do people know has really been working on his mid range and extending his jump shot, which is something that not a lot of people think of when they think about Gorjot Gak. So that's <laughs> something that's interesting to me. And then of course Isaiah Stokes. You see before and after pictures of when he got to university with his ACL injury and how far he's coming out. How hard he's worked. Isaiah Stokes is a guy who can hit three-pointers, has the touch of a guard around the rim, sets impressive screens, and is a wide body you can throw down low to play defense. I think more than adding shooting or athleticism or anything else this offseason, I think the fact that they're going to be able to play 11 or 12 deep is what distinguishes them from a lot of teams in the country. Now, it doesn't mean every guy 11 to 12 deep is going to get the exact same amount of minutes or at least five or 10 minutes. But I think what's important is the high tempo style that Mike White wants to run and how he wants to get out there. I think he's going to actually be able to do that this year more so than last year because of the depth of talent that they have and the depth of guys who specifically fit their system, can set a good screen, defend well, can hit the three pointer and are willing to crash the offensive boards. Yeah, I think that's I mean, I think that's a. That's a really, really good insight. And, and to, to bring in the coach's perspective on it, as, as Eric did earlier, I think <laughs> one, one thing that, that, you know, you work on, because Florida struggled so much finishing through contact and in and around the rim, and some of that was size-related. But I really feel like an underestimated part of that was fatigue-related, especially in the second half. Mm-hmm. It's just hard in those sorts of physical battles when you're playing seven or eight. I think a lot of key stones troubles around the rim were especially related to that. And I think you'll see a big difference, not just because you have a guy like Stokes who has, you know, sort of an elite level of touch in and around the basket, but also because you are playing guys. And when your minutes decrease, there's just more bounce in your legs. It's a little more easier to take on defenders at the basket, which I think is something that that Florida could vastly improve on because they're they're, going to practice it the same way. They're going to use the pads and they're going to use, you know, the things that, that you do to obstruct shots at the rim. None of that's going to change. It's like Coach White said last year, well, we've tried everything, right? But, you know, some of that is just, I think, minutes-based. Yeah, I definitely think so. And I, I, I something I was uh, – I think we maybe even talked about with, like, with like a Kayvon Allen, the fact that Kayvon Allen was a guy who was forced to play a whole lot of minutes and a guy mm-hmm. who's uh, spent a lot of those minutes taking on a guy, uh, usually guarding the other team's best perimeter player um, because uh, it often wasn't Jalen Hudson when he was on the floor – and uh, even if there was a lot, uh, a big talented point guard, it was usually uh, Kayvon Allen having to do that or um, the way that they would switch meant he would have to be banging with bigger players. Um, so he does that taking the other team's best perimeter player for uh, all of the game. And then, he, you know, he comes down on the other end and has to beat guys off the dribble and go play through contact. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a that's a tough job. So. Uh, yeah, I definitely do think fatigue plays a factor, and uh, I think that uh, with a deeper team, I think we'll uh, yeah we'll probably be a better uh, finishing team around the hoop. Mm-hmm. Completely agree, Jake. The uh, the 
I, I, I also asked you to, 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 you know, maybe discuss the other pieces in the class. I think everybody's sort of becoming familiar with, with Andrew Nimhart. I think he might have even got uh, his Instagram um, verified, which uh, I saw him at Pita Pit a couple weeks ago. Don't, <laughs> don't ask. Don't ask, guys. But, <laughs> but I, I definitely joked around him. Like, I can't even believe that I'm verified and you're not verified. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's wholly embarrassing to me. But uh, – <laughs> Anyway, tell tell listeners a little bit about what they can expect in Keontae Johnson and and Noah Locke. Yeah, so Noah Locke is, I think, one of these guys that was a bit underrated because, yes, he is one of the best shooters in this class, but I think not enough people saw his defense or the other parts of his game, and I think unfair to him because everyone considered him such a great shooter. The rest of his game took a little hit from in terms of perspective of what people saw. Noah Locke has brought tremendous energy to these offseason workouts from everything I've heard. And everybody knows defense is 50% effort. Another 50% is skill. I'll give you that. But all it <laughs> takes sometimes is on a given night, just putting your head down and be willing to work. I think it's a problem that we saw uh, in previous years with Keith Stone and a couple of other guys and Jalen Hudson at the start of last year that's gotten fixed. Noah Locke has that attitude. He's shown that he can bring a defensive edge to the floor, and that just goes along with the fact that I think he may have been the best shooter in this class of 2018. He's going to be a guy that will probably be the third string two. He'll probably get 10 or 15 minutes a game, but he is instant offense. He can hit three-pointers off the catch, off the dribble. He can pull up, and he can shoot from anywhere on the floor in a variety of different ways. I think that versatility is a little bit underrated. And then another thing, Keontae Johnson, we speak about Noah Locke's three-pointer already being improved. Keontae Johnson, that's something that he's really worked on, is being able to spread the floor, hitting three-pointers in the corner, and giving his team an added advantage because, like we said with Noah Locke, for Keontae Johnson, the athleticism's already there. The ability to jump, the strength, and everything is there. It's not what you can bring in from high school and be that kind of player. It's what you can bring in and what you can work with the college coaching staff to improve a portion of your game that had previously been undiscovered, something you couldn't improve on. I mean, I talked to Michael Okaru. This is a guy who didn't shoot three-pointers in high school, and now he <laughs> shot over 40% last season from three and was an ace from the corner. Keontae Johnson has thoroughly been working on his three-pointer, and any guy who's around 6'8 with a 40-inch vertical and built as thick as he is <laughs> is going to be efficient on offense and around the board. So the fact that I've heard, along with his defense rebounding athleticism that's already there, that his three-pointer has really taken an uptick in terms of efficiency and shot selection, that makes me happy to hear about Keontae Johnson. Johnson. I think he'll also be in that 10 to 15 minute range, but have a little higher upside in terms of minutes played because of his size versatility and the fact that, well, everyone's looking for a 6'8 wing you can shoot and jump in today's game of basketball. <laughs> Eric, you're, I know you're, I know Noah Locke's a guy that, that you're uh, really high on, and he's smaller than, say, like Aaron Nesmith, who I guess is one of the guys in the class that he kind of compares to just because of his stroke. But, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, is, is he is he a ten minute guy? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. I uh, I think it's just kind of the matter of if he's going to defend or not, uh, which I I think he will actually. But uh, it's just obviously that's a that's a little bit of a crowded position. Uh, but I think once you uh, once you go to the bench, I think you always kind of need a guy that. Uh, uh, that can create a shot and, and score. So I think that he'll he'll command minutes just the way that he can uh, put the ball in the hoop. But um, that's also, yeah, just talking about Keontae Johnson, the way that he can defend on the wing, that's something that the Gators haven't had in a couple of years, really. Uh, a player who can really be a, lo- a shutdown wing, um, who can guard the other team's big wings. Because we, 
we know in basketball, like Jake said, those are kind of the cream of the crop these days are our big scoring wings. And we didn't really have anyone who can match up with them. Uh, we, I'd say we got one really good defensive year out of Devin Robinson, which was um, fantastic. Mm-hmm. But even in his early yeah. time, he wasn't, wasn't much of a defender. I thought he was a great defender his last year, but um, yeah, we, when uh, I also, I, I was writing about how we've struggled against Florida state the last, uh, the last few matchups. And I think a lot of it is because they rolled out so many big athletic wings and we just couldn't match up with that at all. So uh, I think that the fact that uh, Keontae Johnson uh, brings that size and athleticism, uh, he'll be an important piece right away too. So I got a question for both of you. Another, another listener question. This one was about DeAndre Ballard. People just kind of, uh, and, and the question was, you know, Ballard is a guy that, that nobody seems to talk about now, but obviously was, was a prolific scorer in high school, you know, and, and, Decided to defend against St. Bonaventure, at least at the end of the game, right? So, <laughs> oh, yikes. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, man. No, no. And, and you know, so, so is, is this somebody that's kind of going to, is he lost in the shuffle as it, as it, as it seems, or is, is there reason to believe that, that he's a guy who could make a big jump? Eric, do you want to, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I, uh, I would love to. Uh, I've been working on my article about him so uh, that's going to go up this week. So I've got some, uh, some interesting numbers. But um, for me, uh, I mean, the quick answer is, yeah, I actually do think I see him a bit lost in the shuffle. And I don't want to sound like I'm all doom and gloom. And I don't want to take what a player did as a freshman and say, um, oh, that's what he is. And he'll never be anything more than that because that would obviously be, be foolish. But uh, I, I'm just really not sure what his game is right now. Uh, he's kind of, you, you look at him and you think like, oh, there's a guy who probably is going to defend well and, uh, and really hustle. And, uh, and though the hustle was there, I went back and watched a bunch of his minutes and uh, he was lost a lot of the time. And it mm-hmm. seemed like at every, every dead ball, Mike White was calling him to the yep. news. It almost got comical. I was looking at his, uh, not to be rude, but just, it just seemed like, um, you know, oh, ball's kicked out of bounds. Uh, Mike White's calling for him and explaining something. And uh, so I don't really see him being much of a, d- a defender necessarily. Uh, he could build into that, but I'm not sure if that's really his identity. And then, I mean, on offense, he was putting up some historically bad shooting numbers. So uh, one, one thing I saw was, uh, so he took nearly double the amount of shots closely guarded as wide open which speaks a lot to his shot selection um, and of, uh, and on, uh, and on those uh, on closely guarded shots, he was shooting 5.6%. So uh, he re- he really struggled. Um, and even to those people who will kind of point to like, Oh, like, well, maybe he, uh, maybe he'll shoot the ball a little bit better um, uh, when he's, when he's, uh, when he's unguarded, he was, uh, he was, uh, let's see, he was in the, uh, yeah, he was in the 27th percentile of the league last year when, um, uh, when unguarded shooting wide open. So he wasn't great when shooting when he was open. Um, so, so I, I'm just not totally sure what his game is right now. And, and looking at how he gets in the game, I think I look at, um, is he better than Keontae Johnson? And when you see that, I think Keontae Johnson will be able to defend at a really high level, probably a higher level than, um, than Ballard, at least in my opinion, I, I do think that uh, Johnson's going to get more minutes than him. And then you look at kind of the other guard spot. Um, do you think he uh, he's going to be able to score the ball better than than a Noah Locke or be able to stand, uh, be able to catch and shoot like Okaru? Uh, well, I, no, I don't think so. So I'm not <laughs> sure he gets minutes at the two. So uh, just kind of looking at the players he would have to beat out. 
I'm just not sure he's going to be able to defend and be a better three than Keontae Johnson. And I'm not sure he's going to command minutes at the two by, uh, instead of uh, Okaru or Locke. So, um, yeah, not to – I don't want to sound like I'm just really railing on his game. But, um, yeah, I, I do think he might be a guy that's, uh, that's uh, lost in the shuffle. I, w- I wanted to, to just sort of add to that before I, before I asked Jake about his favorite player. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the guy, he doesn't re- – now, their games aren't similar, right? But, but Casey Fraser is the guy that comes to mind with DeAndre. And I don't know if he's a guy who will stick around and invest. And, and, and I know he's, 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 by all accounts, a wonderful kid. Um, so, so maybe he will. Or maybe, you know, he'll find somewhere to go if it doesn't – you know, result in a lot of minutes this year. But Prather was a guy like that who just didn't really know what he was supposed to do for a couple of years. And then obviously towards the end of his junior year, you know, he finally stopped taking bad three-pointers and started attacking the basket and using his body and and really invested on the defensive side of the ball and used his size and his length to, to affect things defensively. And I think, you know, so so maybe there's something in that for DeAndre um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think to, to answer the listener's question, it's a long road, uh, ahead for him. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to, uh, hurt too much on this because I am in agreement with you guys. <laughs> I tweeted uh, a couple of months ago, if I had to see someone transferring out, it would be Ballard. And like you guys mentioned, I don't want to repeat it, but it, it's just not a great fit for him on this team. And I know that it was just his freshman year. So when you see he shot 15.6% from three point range, uh, around, yeah, just it's just not great numbers from DeAndre Ballard when you see it. And I think the problem with him is sort of what you mentioned where you said Coach White always seems to need to tell him what to do or what the next play is or where to be. I, I don't think DeAndre necessarily has the same basketball IQ that is it, it that's expected out of a player at the University of Florida. I find DeAndre to be, if you go back and watch the tape, out of position a lot of times on defenses. He really struggles in pick and roll switch situations. Is something I noticed early in the season yeah. when his scoring was going. And he hunts the most inefficient of shots. I mean, DeAndre Ballard's <laughs> favorite shot is a pull-up 21-foot mid-range shot, and that's just – that's just not a good shot. I mean, his favorite shot is with his foot on the three-point line. But the thing <laughs> is, he simply doesn't fit what this team needs. And I don't see a scenario in which he's going to pave out more playing time or find a role for himself. At the end of the day, he, he's an inefficient mid-range shooter whose athleticism is off the chart and could really be used more. And you saw that. He would drive to the rim and uh, be an acrobat in the air and get to the basket. But he just didn't do enough of that. I think he thinks differently of his game than other people do. And unfortunately, he really is the odd man out on the squad on this squad yeah. between defense and shot selection. It's, it's unfortunate. You never want to talk about a kid as young as he is saying he's a bust or whatever, like you said. And I'm not saying he's a bust. I'm just saying in terms of Florida's system and what they expected out of him, he's not what they expected. And it would be both honestly in his best interest and uh, Florida's best interest if they parted ways and Ballard could find a team where he'd get more opportunity and he'd be in a different system that fits him a little better. I think the word transfer has a little bit of a negative connotation of something didn't work out because you failed or whatever. A lot of times the system just isn't the correct fit. And that's why right. for many reasons, the NCAA needs to fix their transfer system or you don't have to sit out a year. Cause well, <laughs> when a coach changes schools, he doesn't have to sit out a year. So it's, ridiculous but the whole system is messed up there i think it'd be in florida and deandre's best interest for him to transfer but at the end of the day that's his decision and uh maybe he'll surprise all of us come december 
That's right. So let's talk. Let's talk about Jake's favorite player, Keith Stone. I talked to Blake. Yes. I talked to I talked to Blake Lavelle today uh, for a segment that that I'll add later in the week, a longer SEC segment. And and Stone was was one of two guys. I won't tell you guys who the other one is, but Eric, uh, Eric and I talked about him um, on on our SEC preview. So I think a lot of people are kind of high on the other young man. But but as uh, one of the two players, he expected to be a contender for first team SEC, all SEC out of nowhere. And I know, I, I think he, I think he's got that kind of talent. Um, but, but Jake is, has been high on Keith Stone for a really long time. So, Keith um, you know, let, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. So Keith Stone, what, one of the things that really stood out to me is as we all know, NBA scouts probably are the best at scouting basketball talent of anyone in the world. and more than likely know what they're talking about. Keith Stone's freshman year when he redshirted, I'll never forget scouts from so many different NBA teams coming up to me that year and asking, how's Keith look? You know, when's he going to get on the court and all of that? And me basically having to explain that, you know, he's redshirting because it was early in the season. He's not going to play that year. So listen, the interest from scouts just in terms of the fact that he's 6'8 and has a 240-pound body and is a small forward is very intriguing, as Eric mentioned. That is today's NBA. Since then, he has continued to grow. He had sort of a rough season, his uh, redshirt freshman season, where he was a bit of a tweener. He was a little hesitant on his three-point shot, and he wasn't working his way to the rim like he certainly could be. Keith Stone last season was far and away, in my opinion, the most improved player. You're talking about a 6'8", 240-pound wing who's cut down his body fat, has increased his three-point percentage, has become a smarter defender, any better rebounder on offense and defense. There's simply not a guy who's made a bigger stride than Keith Stone. But like I said before, when people see this talent and this production sort of hidden in there, they, they want to exploit it and they want to get in there before anybody else can see it. Well, the secret that is Keith Stone is probably going to be over come, come uh, very soon into that non-conference schedule when you see a lot of primetime games and him getting a lot of minutes and really ex- exuding his confidence in a way you haven't seen before. Uh, a really pertinent quote that I heard from Mike White that, that really stood out to me and just from talking to him is the fact that he doesn't want Keith to be a leader. He doesn't want Keith to have to be this voice in the locker room and a guy who steps up and is helping the younger guys and correcting them. Mike White has essentially said, get away from that. Don't even think about that. Focus on yourself as a player because as we've seen, Keith is a shyer guy, has had confidence issues and that fact. But I think it's it's another attribute of Mike White's that has helped him gain and garner such an impressive recruiting class in 2019 and 2018 is the fact that he was able to get onto Keith's level realized that developing him as the leader of the squad and as the four-year guy wasn't the way to go and had him focus on his game and himself instead of the bigger picture and worrying about others. I think that's a testament to Mike White, and I think it's one of the reasons why we're going to see a more confident and a smarter version of a basketball player of Keith Stone than we've seen before. I think this is a guy who's going to pop up on a lot of NBA draft boards come January. He's a really intriguing name, and he just has – I, I know you can't really control that, but he just has that perfect size for today's NBA that he is going to be an unbelievably intriguing prospect as we get further and further down the year. Last thing, he is also a much improved passer. He used to be scared to pass the ball out of the post. I think Keith Stone and Isaiah Stokes and Chase Johnson are the three perfect zone breakers for when this team runs into his zone because, as you mentioned, Eric, not very good against the zone on offense. <laughs> nope. Eric, anything to add on? Sorry, that was, that was a lot of Keith Stone thoughts. No. That, that was amazing. Like, I had all these numbers that I was going to tell people about Stone that I feel like are kind of baffling. And people would be like, wow, I didn't know he had that good a year last year. And, and I, 
I'll just give Eric a couple of them and see if, if he was all over this because because we're we're the number nerds on this show. But <laughs> um, so so late offense, highest field goal percentage of any Gator other than Kayvon Allen, forty seven point four. Mm-hmm. Twenty five seconds or after Allen was fifty. Um, <laughs> non transition offense. Highest field goal, highest effective field goal percentage on yep. the team. Yep. Yeah, and his effective field goal percentage overall was the second highest on the team, and like four points higher than Kulichev, who I think was really efficient uh, in in a lot of ways that, that kind of he didn't get credit for. And what's interesting about that too that people don't realize is effective field goal percentage really takes in heavily three point shooters and boosts them a little bit above uh, other non three point shooters who might be better shooters from inside the arc. So. The fact that he was there competing with Kulachov, who at the base level average Florida fan people think is the three-point shooter, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty crazy. I know one one interesting thing, and I kind of wanted to close with this, because last listener question, but I wanted to throw it to Eric because he's been doing a great series mm-hmm. on Florida's schedule. And <laughs> one listener said, have you seen our schedule in February? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, it's it's insane. It, so oh wow! Have, like, I Kentucky, I, see, I see the stretch you're talking about. I yeah yeah, it's murderers row. <laughs> That's I did Kentucky, not see. Well, I didn't even see that. Holy crap! <laughs> Kentucky at Auburn at Tennessee, Vanderbilt at Alabama at LSU, and then like, even Missouri, home versus and, Missouri, and, and, Missouri and then at Vanderbilt. Right, and then two Memorial Gyms in the month. And, you know, obviously the Missouri game might be a reprieve now because of the unfortunate, terrible injury to Jonte Porter. But Mm -hmm. is that – Eric, that's insane, right? That is insane. And the thing about – I mean, even playing Vanderbilt that late, like uh, I I wish we were playing Vanderbilt uh, the the beginning of January because obviously they've got some – some young pieces that by in early January might not have melded by that. But, but, but like when we take them on in February, uh, that taught, you know, a lot of those five stars, they're going to be, uh, they're going to be humming. So that's a team that I kind of wish we were playing earlier, even cause that'll be tough. And then, uh, I mean, obviously by that point, um, everyone's got tons of film on everyone and, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just, uh, we'll see who can make the better adjustments, who can be more prepared. And, uh, uh this is where obviously we're going to talk. We've talked depth. We'll probably keep talking depth forever. Uh, but yeah, these big stretches, uh, that's where uh, depth is going to be big, where you can hopefully surprise a team with a lineup they weren't expecting or just to stay fresh or, um, you know, God forbid an injury or something. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. If our depth is going to be tested. Uh, yeah. February is the time. <laughs> um, and, and I'll, 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 I'll leave with this, this, this kind of question that I'll pose to both of you. Cause we are now two weeks from, uh, from opening night. I mean, what's, what's the one thing in November, which would include Atlantis, Jake, that that you will say, you know, that's going to speak to a lot of development in March. Um, in terms, sorry, so in, in terms of how early in the schedule are we talking? In terms of what we see from November and December, you're saying, or sorry? Yeah, I'm just saying, like when when Florida heads to the Jimmy V Classic, for example. Yeah, they'll have Atlantis behind them. They'll have Florida State behind them. They'll have an actually kind of decent LaSalle team behind them. Yeah, sneaky, um, sneaky good. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, what do you, you know, what, what what's the thing if, if you were going to watch one thing in November, while your while your eyes are also on the football team, what are you watching? 
if I'm going to watch one thing in November, and I, I know it's going to seem like the simple answer, but the way that they come out on opening night at Florida State, this is a Florida State team that is down, but even when they seem to be down, they always seem to get Florida trouble. And I know people are going to hear that and say, but Jake, I see the number 17 next to, I think they're 17th in the AP poll. How are you going to tell me this isn't a good team? Leonard Hamilton finds a way to mess up <laughs> good talent every single season, so I'll start with that. But anyhow, I understand, too, they're ranked 15th on Ken Palm. Their offense will be ahead of their defense and their fast-paced team. If Florida can go into the tuck and get a win on the road on opening night with a freshman point guard against a Terrence Manley team who has shown that they are – that they're capable of playing in these really close, tough games at the Civic Center. If Florida comes out and wins that game at Florida State, my expectations will, will not be blown away, but my expectations, I, I will honestly be impressed if they come out with a win at that game. I think that win would be more impressive than, obviously, neutral side against Oklahoma, but even, ah, I, I don't want to say it's a harder game than neutral floor against West Virginia, but honestly, in terms of, it's the first game. It's how you're setting the stage for your season. If Florida comes out flat in that first game at Florida State, I will be disappointed. If they come out with energy and play the different style of offense that we've been talking about and win that game, I think they're going to have a better season than expected. I'm not expecting them to come in and blow Florida State away, but I'd like to see them settle into their offense, not have the second half, early second half turnovers that we constantly see against Florida State. That's honestly the game I'm looking forward to. I'm excited for West Virginia. Virginia neutral site, Michigan State at home, but that Florida State game, man, in terms of just the fan base, too, of just seeing them lose four straight years in basketball and football and <laughs> yeah, all of that, I yeah. mean, I'll personally say that. I was at Florida the last four years, and I didn't see him beat Florida State once in basketball or football, so that was that was definitely a little frustrating, but yeah, I, I'm going to say the Florida State game, honestly. Eric, I know you've written about, you know, how Florida can kind of flip the script against their rival, and I know that's the game you're looking at. Is there anything anything else i had one other thought but i wanted to get eric in on this yeah i think the biggest thing i'll be looking for is uh how they finish games how they play down the stretch mm-hmm. because if you look at mike white's um kind of his record in one possession games um it's it's not great when this time is at florida that's been one of kind of his uh just kind of one of the bugaboos and i mean you also see just uh the amount of times that florida let lead slip last time um I, I mean, I think you guys are both Ken Palm guys. If you want to yep. really cringe, go look at the uh, win probability charts from all Florida's <laughs> losses last, yeah, it's last really year because bad. you'll because you'll see Florida was in in the driver's seat in the second half in pretty much all of those. So, um, I, that, yeah, just the fact that with multiple teams, Florida has had um, had troubles closing games, which uh, I mean, actually, uh, I mean, Billy Donovan didn't have a great record in one possession games either. But it's been something that Mike White has uh, has struggled with, I think. And I think I can say it is a Mike White thing now that it's been um, uh, kind of multiple teams, multiple uh, mm-hmm. multiple players. But, uh, yeah, I want to see teams close better. I know that I think Mike White, no matter what personnel we have on the team, is going to be a top 25 defense because he's done that. And I think this uh, this team kind of has the pieces for that. Um, I do think we'll be better generally offensively just with the pieces. Um, but, yeah, a lot of times in basketball, um, a lot of times in the, uh, the meat grinder of an SEC um, a game's going to come down to uh, to the final minutes, and I don't think Florida's been great executing in those times. And uh, I, if they execute uh, in, down the stretch, um, that that's the difference between like, hey, are you kind of a round of thirty-two team, or are you an elite eight team, or or even better, is uh, just what kind of comes down in the last couple minutes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that I think those are 
those are all outstanding points, and they'll have plenty of games to do that uh, in November and early December, which dovetails to my point, I guess, which is that I'm really looking forward to Atlantis, and I know it's weird to be looking forward to those strange, like, three games in four days tournaments because you don't learn a lot, really, but you get these valuable resume opportunities, except I think Florida learns a lot about themselves, and this is maybe just the coach again coming out, but I, I think the best thing that Mike White has accomplished at Florida was getting to the Elite Eight after the Agbunu injury and figuring out rotations in one month that made that possible. Shout out Justin Florida. Leon. <laughs> well, shout out to Justin Leon. Florida gets Florida gets two chances with a freshman point guard who's, you know, immensely talented to play pack line defenses potentially in Atlantis within 24 hours of each other if they play Wisconsin and then play Virginia in the final. You will learn a lot about what Mike White's rotations look like, how they're going to attack defenses, and a lot about Andrew Nimhart as a player, I think, at least early in the season in those two games. I'm really fascinated by that because I do expect Nimhart to be a totally different player in February when they're going through that brutal stretch than he is in November. But those battle scars from a place like Atlantis where he's playing those high-level defenses – that's really, really intriguing stuff to me. And no, and and I, I completely agree with the the battle for Atlantis uh, point as well. I think we saw a phenomenal tournament there last year, as I mentioned, sort of that first game against Oklahoma. What's going to be really interesting to me is if if they draw Wisconsin in that second round, if they end up beating Stanford, I am very curious to see, and I think this would dispel a lot of the post-play big man rumors very quickly. If Florida can get Wisconsin in that game and effectively limit Ethan half, I think that will show that this Florida team has made tremendous strides from last season and can show that they can effectively target a big man. I mean, you guys talk about marquee opportunities. If you want to show that your team is different and your team has changed, what better way than very early in the season going against arguably the top center in the country? Yeah, no, that's a great point. Especially the way that roster is constructed. Um, one of the few teams that is really going to do everything through a, a big man who just parks himself in the paint. So that would be a, that would be a great matchup to, uh, to kind of show where we're at. Such an ancient style. Watching Wisconsin play is like stepping back like 20, 25 years in the game of basketball. It's, it, it, it's brilliant sometimes, but when it doesn't work, man, does it just look like some bad like Zollner Pistons versus like the Fort Wayne Pistons and like the Minneapolis Lakers <laughs> basketball in like the 50s and 60s. Like, oof, when Wisconsin plays bad, is it ugly? Oof. Yeah, now you could see Florida becoming the PK-80 type darling again just because of the way that field is constructed. Like, would you rather watch Florida, Wisconsin, or Virginia? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like who do, who are people at home eating their turkey gonna gonna be excited to see play? <laughs> hey man, don't sleep on MTSU. I'm I'm actually curious. Speaking randomly of that Virginia match, especially with Kermit Davis gone, curious if MTSU can keep their spot as one of the lead mid majors, but probably not. Yeah, well, I mean that Butler Dayton game on Wednesday is gonna be amazing. Yeah, you're right. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so. Anyway, uh, Jake, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. Hopefully, we can uh, get you back again during the season a few times. And oh yeah, yeah, and, definitely. Um, no, no, this was fun. Yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome to to come on. And this is our our kind of big blowout spectacular. We said we get into the Gators. We spent forty five minutes on them. So people people should uh, either have turned us off twenty minutes ago or really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, we'll hope uh, we'll hope they uh, they kept it on. But you know, uh, you know, ne- people can listen to uh, people can listen to these on like one point five times the speed or something. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> tell Pat, out. especially when I'm talking. <laughs> no, <Nah, nah. laughs> All right, guys, thanks a lot. Yeah, of course. Thanks hey, for having thanks me so on. Much.